podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. November the 12th, it is a Thursday. The weekend is almost here, but there's no football for us to enjoy. It's international break. Uh, we are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Uh like I say, international break. Nothing much has happened. Just a bunch of friendlies so far. Today is the day, though. Today is the day that the qualifying playoffs are completed. Uh, Hungary take on Iceland. Northern Ireland take on Slovakia. Serbia take on Scotland. And Georgia take on North Macedonia. And if those games don't get you excited, I don't really blame you because I'm not going to watch any of them myself. Uh, last night, we did have Nathan Aki having to go off with a hamstring injury, that'll be a blow for City. Um, and yet, yet more evidence that these international breaks are pointless. But we also saw Joe Gomez go out for England uh, in a training session with nobody around him. He crumpled to the floor and could be done for the season. Early rumours are it could be his ACL, it could be his patella tendon. If it's an ACL, you'd feel very, very bad from Joe Gomez has had that injury before. And he had it in training before. This is the third injury that Joe Gomez has sustained while on international duty. He's missed over 100 games of club football because of injuries sustained on international duty. And it really does make you wonder what the point of it all is. It's a huge blow for Liverpool, obviously, with Van Dijk out with a season-ending injury. You would have thought Liverpool were going to be relying heavily on Gomez and Matip. Now Gomez is gone, so it's just Matip. He's obviously had a terrible track record with injuries as well. So it's tough times for Liverpool, but they brought it on themselves. They shouldn't have left themselves short in the um, in the summer transfer window. Now with Van Dijk out, Gomez out, Fabinho out. Fabinho is short term, but he's still out. Matip with the injury problems that he does have. I mean, it, it's just not ideal. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold also ruled out. Liverpool really need to get hold of Joel Matip and then go collect Andy Robertson after tonight's game against Serbia and wrap them both up in, you know, cotton buds and whatever else they can find that's soft and, and try and keep them safe because they're the only two senior defenders currently fit at the club. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a tough couple of weeks for Liverpool. Um, and, you know, like I say, with the Gomez news, it could get worse. We don't know yet the extent of the injury. If it's an ACL, we'll, we will have to, you know, take a moment and, and just realize that that is a massive blow for a young player of his age. Um, elsewhere, uh, non-Premier League related, but to any football fan who grew up in the 80s and 90s or, you know, watched football in the 80s and 90s, Diego Maradona was discharged from hospital on Wednesday and taken straight to a recovery clinic to be treated for alcohol dependency. He had an operation to remove a blood clot from his brain earlier this month. Um, it is tough watching what has happened to Diego Maradona in his post-playing life. The drug addiction, now the alcohol dependency. You know, we look a little bit closer to home and you, you, you look what happened to Gaza. And... Players of similar personality, players with similar levels of hype and, you know, fanfare around them. Obviously, Gaza never reached the the heights of Maradona, but he was an incredible talent. So, you know, you do just have to, to wonder, like, is there better ways that we can help these ex-pros? Look at George Best, another one who was very much in that same kind of free spirit superstar, all the fanfare, anything he wanted kind of environment. And it, it didn't lead to good places for him. It, it does make you think that maybe we need to be a little bit more careful 
in terms of how we hold these people up and how quickly we let them fall when they're no longer of use to us. Um, what I'm going to do today, because there's no no games to talk about, uh, and Lee, Lee is held up with work, so what I thought I'd do um, was ask a question by Steve P over on the Anfield Index uh, Discord. Uh, maybe a team of Premier League players who have impressed you so far this season, deliberately deliberately leaving out Liverpool players and then the Liverpool players who replaced some of the teams. So I'm going to take that idea. I'm just going to go through the players that have impressed me so far this season from each team. So I decided to pick two players from each team that have impressed me. There'll be a couple of honourable mentions. I have to admit I've scraped the barrel with a couple of clubs. I'm sure you already know what clubs those are. You know, there's certain clubs where maybe one person has impressed me. Two was was stretching it. So there is a little bit of barrel scraping as we get towards the end. But we're going to start off at the top of the league with Leicester City. And it would be easy to go for Jamie Vardy. He's obviously been in tremendous form. Eight goals so far this season. I'm not going to go for Jamie Vardy, though. I'm going to go with James Justin, number one. I think he has been tremendous for them this year we've already seen him play right back left back and center back in the three his versatility is right up there with the with the top defenders his performance level has been exceptional he's very very comfortable on the ball a very smart defender reads the game very well learns very very quickly you hear the senior pros around Leicester talk about him and they talk about him and how much of a sponge he is, how he just soaks up everything, how as they speak to him during games, they can tell he's taking it all in. He's very, very impressive to me. I think he's got a big future. Maybe not at Leicester because they've already got Pereira, Castanier, uh, the defenders they have at centre-back with Evans, Sionchu and Fafana. So there might not be a, a starting path there for him in the short term once everybody's back and fit. But obviously there's a chance that Wesley Fofana could move on. There's a chance that Ricardo Pereira could move on. Kagra Soyuncu could move on. So maybe he works his way in that way. But I think Leicester have a have a quality player on their hands. He's been really impressive for me this, this season so far. My second Leicester player then is going to be Wesley Fofana, who's only played a handful of games, but I think he's been one of the best players in the pitch each time he's been out there. 19 years of age, arriving from uh, a different league to a new club, new teammates, new style of play. And he's just adapted brilliantly, whether they play a back four or a back three, whether he's in the middle of the back three or to the right of it. He just looks very, very comfortable. He's been very good in the ball, but it's his physical presence that has been the standout. He's so dominant in the air. He's quick. He's powerful. He's very good in his 1v1s. I think Wesley Fafana is going to prove to be a bargain signing for Leicester City, even at 30-odd million that they paid for him. I think in 24 months, they could double that money. I think he is going to become one of the top defenders in world football. He has all the tools physically, technically. I think he's got the right mentality as well. Um, Another one of these young players that really wants to learn, really wants to improve and get better. And I think it's a very promising sign for Leicester that they have Justin and Fafana. Like, if they were to lose Pereira and Sionchu, which six months ago would have been unthinkable for them. But I think now they wouldn't be too too badly off. I think they'd be comfortable enough to take that money in. You know, they'd, they'd take in easily $100 million for Pereira and Sionchu if they reinvested half of that back into the team. I think they'd be in good shape. Uh, Leicester have done a very good job with their recruitment over the last couple of years. Second place currently is Spurs. The two obvious ones here, Harry Kane, seven goals and eight assists in eight Premier League games. He is currently, without question, the front runner for player of the year. Uh, I think his biggest competitor is his strike partner, Youngman Son, who has got eight goals in eight games, a couple of assists to his name as well. These two have just been consistently brilliant. They are, for me, without question, the two standout players in this Spurs team this season. 
And if they can keep them fit and keep them rested, I see no reason Spurs can't challenge for the title, genuinely. I think they've got quality depth now with the likes of Bergvine, Mora, Carlos Vinicius. They've also got, obviously got Gareth Bale there, Deli Ali. So there's no reason for them to burn any of these players out. Mourinho, if he's smart, which he, he is smart, he is super intelligent, but if he's smart with how he uses his players, I see absolutely no reason why Spurs can't keep these lads fit, barring an injury that takes place in-game, you know, a, a, an impact injury. Kane hasn't always had the most, you know, robust nature to himself. I think only one of the last four seasons he's managed to play over 35 games. But this season, the form he's in, it's really hard to see a situation in which Spurs aren't right up there at the end of the season, assuming he's fit. And the same with Son. They complement each other so well. Kane's creativity and, and goal scoring added to Son's pace, goal scoring movement. The, the two of them, they just mesh brilliantly. And um, it really does give Spurs an edge because there's not many teams that have two elite attackers. Liverpool have two elite attackers. I would say City have two elite attackers. After that, I'm struggling. I don't think anyone else has two elite attackers. I think there's teams that have two potentially elite attackers. I think Chelsea have potentially multiple uh, elite attackers. But right now, I wouldn't say any of them are in that elite class. Arsenal have one. United, again, potentially they have maybe three. But right now, I wouldn't say any of them are elite it is just Liverpool, City and Spurs. And that is that is massive. If you can score goals, you're halfway there. And we know under Mourinho, they'll be decent defensively. So all signs are, are good for Spurs right now. Uh, Liverpool next. Andy Robertson, for me, is Liverpool's best player so far this season. I think he's been consistently very, very good. Even in the game where they got walloped, he was very good. It's a nice... Bounce back for him because he did have some some ropey form after the uh, the lockdown was lifted last season, and he's just re-establishing himself as the best left back in the league. There's there's absolutely no doubt there. The other one is Mo Salah, also eight goals in eight games, like the two Spurs boys. And again, he's just been he's been excellent week after week after week for Liverpool. Even when they got beaten by Villa, he turned up. He scored two goals. Gave a good accounting of himself. When he's on form, he is near impossible to stop. And when he's impossible to stop, Liverpool are very, very difficult to stop. So he is key to everything they do. I think the understanding between himself and Mane, especially with the dip in form of Bobby Firmino, is is very important. Obviously, Diogo Jota has come in and done well. But Liverpool will go as as Mane and, and Salah can carry them, especially with the defensive injuries. There's a lot more pressure now riding on those two up front and Andy Robertson at the back. He is now the senior most reliable defender there. Matip, obviously a more senior player, but injuries, we don't know how often he's going to be able to play. Liverpool have 11 games left before the January transfer window opens. If Joel Mata plays six of them, I think they'll be doing very well. Fabinho will come back in a couple of weeks, so he'll play some with Matip, some without Matip. It's not an ideal situation, but if Andy Robertson stays fit, it's a massive help. It really is a massive help. Um, Southampton up next, they're fourth. So I've gone for Bednarak, who I think has been, been really good at the back. I think he's helping forge a little bit of solidity there. Other than the Spurs game where they got walloped, I think they've defended about as well as anybody in the league. And he has been a big part of that. Whether he's partnered with Stevens or Vestergaard, I think he's impressed. He will soon be the, the senior centre-back in that team once Salisu makes his way into the team. And that will be a little bit more pressure. But to me, Bednarak looks like a leader. He talks a lot. He's dragging defenders into position holding midfielders back into position. To me, that's that's a good sign. I think he's 24 years of age. So 
still room to grow. Um, but Saints should be very, very happy with where he he's going, the direction he's moving in. And that, Danny Ings is the other one. I mean, they go as he goes. You know, Ward Price has been good and Che Adams has been good, but they go as Danny Ings goes. And he started the season in the same form he was in last year. Obviously, the knee injury, a little bit of a concern, but as long as he's okay, they're going to do okay. They'll be, you know, I don't, their fourth is a, is a false position. They deserve it for now, but they're not going to end up in fourth. I'd imagine somewhere around ninth, tenth, eleventh. But I think they'll take that after what they went through last season, the horrendous run of form. Remember, they're only 12 months removed from real, real talk about firing the manager. Basically, we're going down and, you know, who are we going to sell? Where are we going to sell them to? The turnaround has been remarkable. It does show that patience is a virtue. Patience in the manager, patience in Che Adams didn't score a goal until lockdown was lifted. Went 30-plus games, I think, all competitions without a goal for the club. But this season, he's in form, ended last season in form. And a big part of that is Danny Ings. He has taken him under his wing. You can see the understanding with them developing on the pitch. You can see when, when Ings is out of the team and Adams plays instead of him that he has more of an understanding of what he needs to be doing, where he should be making his runs. So for that reason, I've gone Danny Ings and, and Bednarak is there too. Um, for Chelsea, these two might be a little bit controversial. One is getting a lot of undue stick because his name isn't Jack Grealish. And the other one's only played half their league games. But I've got Mason Mount, who isn't a spectacular player, isn't going to get you 15 goals a season. But I think he's making himself invaluable to this Chelsea team with the unselfish nature of how he plays. He is developing into more of a central midfielder than the attacking midfielder he's been his entire career. His work rate, his pressing, his ability to win the ball back high up the field, his link-up play, he's a clever passer of the ball. I think he is key to what Chelsea are right now. Whether he has a long-term place in the team, I don't know. If you look at who they signed in the summer, you wouldn't imagine that he will have a long-term place. But Lampard loves him. So he's in the team right now. And I think he's kind of the glue guy. I think he's kind of the one that holds it together for them. Uh, the other one is, is Eduard Mendy, who I, I have doubts over. But I think just the fact that he's not Kepa has made such an improvement to that team. And Kep is a, a really good goalkeeper, or at least was pre-Chelsea. Now he may be far too broken to be of any use to anybody. Certainly not going to be any use to Chelsea anymore. That's gone toxic. But uh, Mendy has started well uh, in the Premier League. Uh, Villa next. Jack Grealish is the obvious one. Game after game, he's, he's turned in good performances. I think playing with players of a more similar level to himself is massively helping. Um, the likes of Ross Barkley, Ollie Watkins. It, it is helping take the pressure off him. He no longer needs to do it all himself. He can share the load. I think Barkley has been a massive part of that. The other one I've gone with is Douglas Louise. Now, again, Barkley worthy of mention. Ollie Watkins worthy of mention. Ezri Conza worthy of mention. But Douglas Louise is the one who sets the platform for that attack. You know, he, he's the one that allows John McGinn and Ross Barkley to get forward and join the, the front pair, or the front three, rather. He's the one that allows the fullbacks to provide the width and, and the support and attack. He's the one that protects the centre-backs and does a very, very good job at it. So Douglas Louise, to me, I think he's I think he's arguably been the best holding midfielder in the league this year. Um, super important to them. Still can't believe City let him go. Uh, Everton in seventh. I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is, is the obvious one. Eight goals in eight games, just like Salah, just like Son, just like Vardy. Um, leads the line very well. Works incredibly hard for the team. Offers them an outlet. Offers them that release valve. Someone that you can just get rid of the ball to and he'll hold it up 
and hold defenders off and give you an opportunity to step out. You see a lot of times when teams get pinned back, the problem they have is when they clear the ball, it just bounces back to them. With Calvert-Lewin, Everton have an outlet that they can ping the ball into, know that he'll fight for it, know that if he gets hold of it, he can keep hold of it, give you that opportunity to get your defence up, your midfield up, and join him and gain a bit of a foothold in the game. He's been super important to Everton this year. Like I say, eight goals in eight games. Now, it's not like he's scoring worldies, you know, but he is doing the penalty box predator thing. And that's really, really important. It's, I think Carlo has done a great job developing him. I think he's explained the role of the number nine a lot better to him than Calvert-Lewin had previously understood it to be. And as long as it continues, I think he'll continue to score goals and he'll continue to put himself in the mix for a place in England's uh, Euro 2020, which is taking place in 21 um, squad. The other one from Everton is tough because James Rodriguez has been really good. Luca Dina has been really good, but I'm going to go with Richarlison in part because I think his importance has been seen when he's not in the team. He's been suspended the last three games and they've lost the last three games. And I don't think they've played anyone who's been better than themselves. Like, I don't think you could really argue that Newcastle are better than them. You couldn't argue to me that Manchester United are better than them. You couldn't argue to me that Southampton are better than them. I think they're better than all three of those teams. But I think without him, he is another outlet. He offers great width, good pace, and again, an incredibly hard worker. He offers them brilliant balance. And that partnership with him and Luca Dina had been really important. He's also excellent in the air. And when Seamus Coleman gets forward and gets his crosses in, Richarlison is brilliant attacking the back post. Like, absolutely the back post. So, for me, I've gone with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. However, I, I do appreciate that a lot of people will say James or, or Luca Dina. Um, moving on. Crystal Palace. Uh, I've got Wilf Saha. I think that's the obvious one. He's been in, in very good form this year. I think he's played with a real chip on his shoulder. I think he wants to prove people wrong. I think he might also be a little bit angry at the club because he's still there. But I think he does have that love for the club, that connection. So even if he would rather leave, he will always give 100% to the club. He might even just give that little bit more that little bit more nastiness about him. And I think we've seen a little bit of nastiness about him, not not in terms of throwing themselves into tackles or doing anything untoward, just in terms of really setting out to embarrass defenders, really setting out to prove a point. I think he's been really good for them. Their league position of eighth, I think, is largely down to him. And I think as long as he plays like that, and again, he, like Grealish, is getting more help now with... Eberichi Easy, Michi Bachuai. I think as long as Palace continue to build around him, I think they can keep hold of him. I do think they can keep hold of Zaha. I think they can keep him happy if they add quality players. If they can go again in January and add another one, and then next summer add a couple more and rebuild this team and give it a new identity and give him players of his own level. Not players he's going to have to pick up every single week, put on his back, and carry to a bunch of 1-1 draws. Players who can actually help him win football matches. If Palace do that, and I believe that is what the plan is, they're in good shape. They really are in good shape. Uh, the other one I've gone for is Tariq Mitchell, the young left-back who started the season for them. Just a big surprise to me, to be totally honest. I, I didn't know much about him. I saw him playing in uh, their one preseason game, and he looked really, really impressive. But friendlies are friendlies. Uh, but his league form has been really good. He's obviously he's injured at the moment. He's lost his place to, to Patrick Van Anhold, who is the nominal starter anyway, so he would have come back in at some point anyway. But to me, Mitchell's a massive plus for them. I think they can now look at him and Nathan Ferguson at right back and say, right, that's brilliant. That's our fullback spots locked down for the next few years. We don't need to worry about this now. They've got Nathaniel Klein in, uh, who will give them consistent six and a half, 
seven out of ten most weeks. Uh, won't do anything spectacular, but won't do anything stupid either. Nathaniel Klein will give you consistently decent performances. He will lock down that right back position. He's very good one v one. He's a solid team team defender, and I think having him in as a bonus, kind of on a free, uh, is a is a big plus for them as well. So it it takes the pressure off Ferguson to um to get back from the injury as as quick as maybe people would have liked. He may miss most of the season, partly because of the injury, partly by design, but it's a good sign for uh, Palace that they have not just Klein and Ward and, and Van Aanholt, but these, these young fullbacks now, Ferguson and Mitchell. And Mitchell, like I say, was the big surprise to me. I think he's been really good. Uh, moving on to Wolves in ninth. Max Kilman, uh, I've gone with, was the first one. He's just been a big surprise to me. Um, last season, very much kind of a fourth or fifth option. But this season, he's come into the team and he's locked down that left-sided centre-back spot for himself in that back three. Willie Bolly on the right, Cody in the middle, and him on the left. And I think he's outperforming his senior uh, teammates substantially in that defence. He's obviously travelled you know, a different path to get to this point. Played a lot of non-league, uh, but still very young still developing a lot of room to grow. I think he's a big, big bonus for Wolves. It was clear that they needed to upgrade their central defensive unit in the summer. They didn't. Now, whether that was because of him or just because they couldn't get who they wanted, I don't know. But, um, yeah, they'll be very, very happy with, with how he's played, how he's fit into the team. He's a seamless fit. He just is a seamless fit. The other one I've gone with for Wolves is uh, is Dan Donker, who played a lot in defence over the last you know eighteen months or so with Wolves, and that was limiting his game. That was taking him out of the area where he can be most effective for you. But he's back in midfield now. They're playing him and Neves largely as a two, and it's working very well. I think Neves' ability to control the game and then Donker's willingness to go box to box is a really good fit. Uh, Donker to me, has has improved massively this season in terms of his overall game. I think we're seeing more of his passing, more of his defensive work. He's, his intelligence is very, very high. His game intelligence. And he picks up really good positions both on and off the ball. Watch him block off passing lanes. Watch him just make a nice nuanced move to pressure the ball. Knowing he won't get to the ball, but limiting what the opposition can do. That partnership with him and Neves has been really good. And he's chipped in with a goal or two. He's obviously a big, big dude. He's, I think he's 6-3 and a big unit. So that's why he was able to get by at centre-back. But in midfield, he's so much more uh, beneficial to them uh, defensively and in attack. So... Yeah, Dendonker and Kilman from Wolves. Um, Man City in 10th. City being 10th is just bizarre. It's This one was quite hard because there's nobody really that's kind of jumped out to me as having been in great form. Kyle Walker, I think, is the one defender you can look at who's consistently done pretty well for them. Uh, now, in part, that's because Diaz was only joined late in the window. Laporte has been out injured and the left back has been a revolving door. But I do think Walker has improved defensively this season. Silly penalty against Liverpool um, aside. He's sort of scaled back his attacking play in, in the last, I'd say, two years as his pace started to wane just a little bit. Now, he's still lightning quick and he can still cover that ground in an instant, but he can't sustain it the way he used to. He can't do it for 90 minutes, game after game after game, and expect to stay fit. So he has to pick and choose his moments a little bit more now. Um, and we've seen it. We saw him against Sheffield United just pick and choose his moments as to when to turn on the burners. And he did it to great effect. But he's doing the same thing defensively now, only using his pace when he absolutely needs it, not just relying on it to get him out of 
silly situations that he's created for himself by being, you know, 10 to 15 yards too high. Um, the decision by Garrett Southgate in the last couple of years to use him as a right back in a back three has also helped him defensively. It's given him more of an understanding of what it is to play as a defensive unit, which he kind of floated by on for a couple of years under Pep. He had it under Pochettino, but in a different way because he had great centre-backs and that great holding midfielder. Now, I mean, Diaz could become a great centre-back. Laporte is borderline. He's very, very good. I don't know that he's great. And in centre midfield, there's, Rodri is still learning how to play under Pep, still learning how to play in the Premier League. So Walker hasn't had what would you know what made him very good at at Spurs, but this season I think we're seeing a better defender than we saw at Spurs. Not as good attacking, but a lot of the same traits in, in his game. That ability to now sweep the centre backs has been very important to City because last season it was a major issue. It was one of the big weak points in that team last season was the fullbacks were a little bit too high and not not in position to sweep those centre-backs. This season, Walker seems to have taken it on himself to just drop off a couple of yards, and now if something gets in behind the centre-back, he's the one that can cover it. And that's hugely important if you want to to kind of build from the back. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, have a strong defence. I'm not talking about on the ball. I'm talking about defensively. Um, Ferran Torres is the other one then for City. He hasn't been spectacular. He hasn't been brilliant, but I think he's been good. I think he's been good in an unexpected way. He's come into the team and played as the false nine a couple of times. And with Aguero out and Gabby Jesus was out, that was massively beneficial. Got them through a couple of games. Got them a couple of wins. He scored a few goals so far. I think he's been the one attacker that's consistently done well when he's been in the team. We've seen Maris have some stinkers. We've seen Sterling had some stinkers. And then obviously... Uh, Aguero and Jesus has just missed a bunch of games uh, on to Arsenal and again this was tough I've gone with two defenders though Gabriel I think has stepped in and, and dealt with the Premier League very very well having moved from Lille in the summer his presence, his physicality um, his recovery pace, his aggressiveness in stepping out towards the ball they've all been very very good in the Premier League he physically has taken to the league very well. Um, he's improved that Arsenal defence, and I think him and Kieran Tierney, who's played next to him, are becoming the bedrock of that team. I think they're the two in that kind of back five that you look at and go, without question, they're long-term pieces. Saka is a long-term piece, but it, it's all about position. Where is his position going to be? Because by nature, he plays in the front three left wing, right wing. But he's been really good at left back and left wing back for them. So maybe that's where he does stay long term. Um, but Gabriel and Tierney, to me, have been the two standout players for Arsenal this year. They've had issues in midfield. I, I think El Nenny's worth, uh, worth a mention because he's come back in, having looked like his Arsenal career was you know dead in the water. He's come back in, made himself an important part of the squad. Played a couple of games recently and played well, particularly at Old Trafford. And, uh, you know, Thomas Partey isn't up to speed fully yet, but has shown good signs. Midfield, I think, will improve as, as you know, we get through the weeks. The the big issues up front, the big, big issues, the lack of creativity. Aubameyang only has two goals in the league. That's, that's disappointing. But it's not down to him. It's down to the lack of service. Uh, I've said all along, I don't think William was the right signing. But... It is what it is. But Gabriel was definitely the right signing and him and Kieran Tierney for me. Arsenal's two most impressive players this year. Uh, on to West Ham then. Thomas Suchek and Declan Rice. There can be no other suggestions. I, w- I will accept nothing else. Yes, you can say Mikel Antonio, but without those two in midfield, Mikel Antonio's not getting the service that he's getting. Those two, as a pair, have changed this West Ham team. They have transformed this team. The decision to leave Noble out and just go with those two as a pair 
is the best thing David Moyes has done. He did it at times last season, and again, it worked well. But this season, it's worked really, really well. What they give you is both the willingness to play and the ability to bet in. So if you want, you can become a back seven. Or if you want, they can press forward, win the ball high up the field. Suchek gets himself into the box, is an absolute nightmare to try and deal with because of his size and physicality. Rice kind of holds that position about 25, 30 yards from goal, can be the recycler, always a threat to have a shot as well. It may not go in, but he's always a threat to have a shot. I think we've seen a, a development that in Declan Rice this year as well on the ball. I think his passing has improved. I think his, his decision-making, not so much his actual passing, but his decision-making on where to pass the ball is what's improved. I think Thomas Suchek and Declan Rice, without doubt, are the two players from West Ham who've impressed me the most. Uh, Newcastle, Callum Wilson, I think obvious. He's come in. He's bagging goals. It's, it's exactly what they were lacking last season. A little bit of a concern at the minute that he is out injured, but it's not meant to be as bad in, as initially thought. So hopefully a quick recovery, a quick turnaround there, and he'll get himself back in the team because they will need him. I do want to see more of him and Jolington as a two. That's something I do want to see, but they've got good options in attack with Almiron, uh, St. Maximum, Ryan Frazier. I like the, the wing-back situation with, with Murphy and Lewis. I think that works well. So they've got options. They've got you know versatility and variations that they can work through. And Carl Darlow, I think worth mentioning, not the best goalkeeper in the world, but has done a really good job for Newcastle this season. Dubravka is a very good goalkeeper, and when he got hurt, I, along with a lot of other people, thought that was going to be a big, big issue for them. But Darlow has done really well while he's been out. And um, is going to have a bit of a fight in his hands thing to get back in. He's not just going to walk back into the team. So credit to Carl Darlow. He, he has started the season very, very well. United was tough, I have to say. Um, Bruno, I think, is the one that has stood out. Uh, I think he's the one that's consistently putting in good performances. He's put in a couple of match-winning performances. He's shown leadership that has been sorely lacking through the rest of the Manchester United squad. And, uh, you know, when the chips are down, he's the guy that tends to turn up. Goals and assists, non-stop energy, non-stop running. Still don't think United are using him properly. He is an 8, he's not a 10. For the love of God, someone get a real manager in there and use that boy properly. Uh, and the other one is Marcus Ra- Marcus Rashford. And I know he hasn't been at his very best, but it's slim pickings here, lads and ladies. It is slim pickings at United this year. They have not been good. Their league form has been an abomination. The Everton match was the first time they've played well for more than 20 minutes this season. That's just the pure fact of it. They have been atrocious in league play this year. As bad a Manchester United team as I can remember seeing in the Premier League era. Worse than under Moyes. Much worse. And there's no give it gigs until the end of the season this year. So, I've gone with Marcus Rashford because I do think he has played well. I do think he's been asked to carry a little bit too much of the load. And in part, I've gone with him because of what he's done off the field. Because I think if you can play football at a high level and change society, change the life of millions of kids, if you can do that, yeah, you're you're in my team all day. Absolutely no question. Uh, Leeds United, the two obvious ones. Patrick Bamford, seven goals this season already. Uh, should be eight. That the call against Palace was a disgrace. And I've seen it four or five times since I talked about it the other day. And it becomes more of a disgrace every time I see it. It's a violation of the decency of the game. Um, just proving people wrong. He really is proving people wrong, me included. I had doubts over his ability to score the required number of goals in the Premier League. But he is he is doing the job. His all-round play has always been very good. His hold-up play, his link play, his willingness to work the channels, press centre-backs and full-backs. His all-round play has always been there. He's added the goals this year. Is No, he's still missing some chances. But he's, he's converting at a higher level. So that's, that's really good to see. Um, and Calvin Phillips. And I think you can mostly see his influence in the last two games 
where they've shipped four in each game and been pretty horrific. Pretty horrific in both games. Um, I think he has been really good for them this year. He was brilliant last season. He's rightly been called up into the England squad. The thing with him and Rice doesn't work, though, so that needs to be binned off um, when Phillips is back in the in the England mix next time around. But for Leeds, he is he is key to everything. Like he is the linchpin of that team, and without him, they do look very much like a championship team. It must be said, they do look very much like a championship team. So the sooner they get him back, the better for them. Uh, up then we have Brighton. This was tough as well. There's only really been one player to me that stood out consistently. That's Tariq Lamptey, who is just a one man outlet down that right-hand side. Given the ball in any circumstance, he's going to terrorize defenders. He's going to win a whole ton of penalties. I think he's already won two or three this season. He just makes people commit to things, and then he nicks the ball away at the last minute. He's so quick. He's so small as well. I think he's 5'4". Um, it does make it difficult for defenders to judge you know, how quickly he can get to the ball. So for me, he's been the one, but I've also gone with Eves Basima because I think he's, I think they're better when he's in the team. Um, I think he adds a bit of steel to that team, and it's what's badly needed at the moment. So yeah, uh, I've gone with Lamptey and Basima. Uh, Fulham, Zambo Anguisa is the obvious standout. He has been really good for them this year so far. He's proving. All the doubt was wrong, proving that they were right to sign him a couple of years ago, that the form he showed at Marseille was real. Obviously, didn't go well in the first season. Went to Villarreal on loan last year, was great for them. Back this season, and just doing a tremendous job. It wouldn't surprise me if they get a big offer for him in January. <clears throat> Whether they're willing to sell or not, I don't know. I have doubts that they would be. They certainly shouldn't be. But um, he, he's been really good for them. And the other one I'm going to go for is Anthony Robinson at left back. I think he just provides a consistent outlet for them there, up and down the wing, all game long, showing why AC Milan were interested in bringing, bringing him in to back up Theo Hernandez. Um, I, I think he's more than good enough for the Premier League, more than good enough for Fulham, and uh, at two or three million, an absolute bargain. Really good bit of business for them. It gets really sketchy from here. I'm going to tell you now. It gets really difficult from here. West Brom. So I've gone with Matthias Pereira because he's impressed me twice. And I know it's eight games, but, you know, two good games in this West Brom team this season, believe it or not, is actually actually impressive. So uh, I've gone with him. I think from a a creativity point of view, he is key to them I think the front three of him Grant and Diangana can be good I think they just need games together they need to get a couple of wins though and they need to start scoring some more goals the confidence will pick up at that point but you know it is slim pickings for for West Brom Uh, I've gone with um, Jake Livermore as well Um, apparently because it's Middle name is Cecil, if I'm honest. But uh, also because... No, it's Cyril. It's it's not Cecil. It's Cyril. Jake Cyril Livermore. Um, but also because I do think he has played quite well this year. I think at times he has left in midfield to do an awful lot of work by himself because Conor Gallagher's natural instinct is to join the attack and, and try and be a little bit inventive. And the same with um, Kravanovic... I think he's sometimes just left a little bit exposed in midfield. Doesn't have a particularly good defence behind him. But I think he's done an admirable job. And I think he is he is valuable to them as a leader, as a ball winner, um, as just a fellow who will run himself into the ground for the good of the team. So, Matthias Pereira and Jake Livermore for West Brom. And then we come to Burnley. And I very, very nearly wrote down Nobody, because they have been in absolute shambles this season. What we're seeing from Burnley is pretty disgraceful, if I'm honest. For a team that finished 10th last season to be in the position that they're in, performing the way they're performing, 
But, you know, the point of the exercise is to give credit to two players from every team. So that's what we're going to do. First one is Josh Brownhill, who's come into midfield in the ax- uh, the absence of Jack Cork. He's played some games on the right-hand side. It's a complete waste of him. When he's played centrally, I think he has impressed. I think he's neat and tidy in the ball, but adds a little bit more of a dynamic nature to the normal neat and tidy nature of Westwood and Cork. I think there's goals in this game. I think that is something he can unlock. He just needs to get into more advanced positions, whether that's a tactical thing or just down to him not yet having the confidence. I do think he can grow into being a very good player for them. I really do. I think he suits the system well. I think his talent ceiling is higher than Westwood and Cork. And if he can stay in the team regularly, and I I don't mean out on the right-hand side, I think he can be beneficial to them. I'd love to see Dyche maybe change things up and go to a 4-3-3 once Cork is back, Westwood, Cork, and Brownhill, and then play Rodriguez, Wood or Barnes. Probably Wood would be the, the better choice, better player. Uh, and McNeil as the front three. Now, a 4-3-3 might be a little bit too exotic for Sean Dyche. Um, but I do think it would benefit them to get Brownhill in central areas along with Cork and Westwood uh, and give him then more attacking range. Because if you're playing that three, you know Cork and, and Westwood will will do what they do. They'll hold that midfield. They won't do anything silly. They'll win the ball back a lot. They'll protect your defense. They'll use the ball well. And then Brownhill can get forward a bit more. And you can start to explore his talent a little bit more. The second one I've gone with is Charlie Taylor. Um, Hasn't been great, but I think he's been decent. Of the back four, or I think there's been maybe six, seven defenders who've played this year. But of the nominal back four, he has been the best this season. Uh, I do like what he offers going forward. I think I, I want to see more of that. And again, in the 4-3-3, I think we could see a lot more of that. It would open the channel up from a lot more. But um, defensively, he's solid. Going forward, he's decent. He's He's been let down by the players around him. He, he just has. Uh, and finally, Sheffield United. From 9th to 20th, in the matter of a couple of months. That is remarkable. Um, not a whole lot to be be praising here. Again, like Burnley, a bit of a disgrace. Probably, it's, it's worse. It's worse. Burnley dropped nine places. This lot have dropped 11. Uh, Burnley spent no money in the summer. This lot spent 50 million or more than 50 million. Probably closer to 60 million. Burnley at least have two points. Sheffield United have won. They have, and that one, like, they're so lucky to even have that point. If Mitrovic doesn't try and kick the leather off the ball, and then just keeps his feet to himself, Fulham win that game two 0 Even if he does one of the silly things, and not the other, they win either two one or one nil. And Sheffield United would have no points to make games. Sander Berger is the only one that I can actually say has impressed me this season. He's the only one that in multiple games has been the best player on the pitch. He's the only one that's continually stood up and gone to war for his team. While the rest of them have kind of limped their way through the season, the lack of urgency and desire and fight in this team has been just so strange to watch. Not what you expect at all from a team managed by Chris Wilder. Wilder himself, to me, not disinterested is definitely the wrong word, but he hasn't looked like he's fully grasped what's going on. It, it doesn't seem to have hit him yet how big a hole they're in. And that has spread through the squad, but the one player it hasn't spread to, spread to is Sander Berger, who continues to week after week turn in good performances. And the only other one I can I can go to for them, because they've been so bad, is David McGoldrick, who's bagged a couple of goals. 
He's got half their league goals. He's got two. And that's it. They have just been so poor. Along with Burnley, along with West Brom, no wins. These teams have played 23 games combined and won zero. 22 games combined because Burnley played West Brom. But still, you know what I mean. Six points between them. Six. It's going to be a long year. (laughs) It's going to be a long year. I think I've taken up enough of your time for today. Um, You'll appreciate that I am trying to give you a podcast every day. It is difficult at times to fill, fill the day. So if you found this a little bit boring or anything like that, I do apologize. It wasn't my intention. I didn't mean for it to be boring. Um, but plans changed the last minute. Lee had to, had to work. So we had to make it up as we go. Um, how much we'll have Lee before Christmas, I don't know. Uh, it, obviously, January is going to be hectic for him with the transfer window. So we may not have much of Lee until February. Um, in which case I will try and find someone to come in and, and, and fill in for him. But um, it is what it is. Uh, I hope you have a very pleasant day or whatever remains of your day. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Um, if you could, you know, go on your podcast provider, iTunes or whatever, and, and give an L five star rating and a, you know, it doesn't really matter what you write in the comment, but if you can give us an L five star rating, it does help with the metric, so we can continue to grow the show. Um, thanks to Fox Haunt as always for their title music. Uh, check out their new single, and thank you to Guy Drinkle who does incredible work uh, behind the scenes here on EPL Index and of course on Anfield Index as well. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Podcast Network.